Let's pray before we look at God's word together. Our Father, this is your powerful word. We've sung of the power of your voice, and you speak to us in the scriptures with great power. Your word is accompanied by the work of your spirit to open our ears and to open our hearts, to enable us not just to hear the vocalizations, but to hear your voice, to know that you are speaking to us. And you give us hearts of faith to embrace that word, to rely upon it, because we've committed ourselves to you. We know that your every word to us is for our good, for our edification, for our comfort and encouragement, and to challenge us to be your people in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 What time is it? You know, I get to look at a clock right here on the lectern. <laughs> but I'm not asking you where we are in the hour of the day today. But I want you to think about where we are in the big picture of things, the big picture of God's work here on earth. And Jesus tells us very clearly what time it is in that big picture sense in Luke chapter 24. It's the day after you know, his resurrection. Evening has come. A new day has begun on the Jewish way of reckoning time. He's been on the road to Emmaus with some disciples, and he's revealed himself to them in the breaking of bread, and they rush back to Jerusalem to meet with the other disciples again. And at some point you know, during that late night, early morning time, uh, they're talking about what happened. What happened to them? there in Jerusalem, what happened with these two men on the road to Emmaus. And as they're doing that, the scriptures tell us in Luke 24 that Jesus himself comes among them. Listen to what Jesus says, beginning in verse 45 of Luke 24. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." What time is it? Jesus says, now that he's suffered and died and been resurrected, now it's the time that repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus, in his name, be proclaimed not just to their fellow Jews, but to the nations, you know, the whole of the world. See, that's the time in which we still live, isn't it? It's the age of the harvest. It's the time in which we take this good news that we can repent and be forgiven in Jesus' name and live eternally in him. We take that to the world, the world around us 
and the world that's far away from us, we take it to all the nations. That's the mission that Jesus has given to his church. But we know ourselves so very well, don't we? It's hard for us to keep our priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we joke about that with New Year's resolutions. Yeah, we make our New Year's resolutions and maybe they last two days if we're really fortunate. <laughs> you know. We know how quickly we can get sidetracked. Mm-hmm. Not that we deliberately say, I don't want to do that anymore, but we just get busy doing other things. Well, that seems to have been what happened with the apostles. They got busy. Their Lord had said to them, They were to take this wonderful news, this news of salvation, this news of peace with God, of eternal life in Jesus' name. They were to take it to the nations of the world. And they're taking it to Jerusalem and Judea. And the church grows exponentially and they get busy. There's stuff that has to be attended to as the church grows and multiplies. And so their focus seems so very much, you know, on Jerusalem and on Judea, on what's happening by the Spirit's power right around them there. And they're losing track of the fact that their Lord had said to them that they were to take this wonderful word of forgiveness to the nations, to the people of the world. Peter grew up with a truth pounded into him, I'm sure. Because when Peter was a boy, you know, like Elise and Hannah, just a little shaver, you know, God had told his people that they were to be separate from the nations. And when Peter was a kid, the nations weren't far away somewhere else. It was right there in Judea, throughout all of Israel. The Roman army was there. The Roman government officials were there. The businessmen and their families were there with all of their splendor that was attached to the empire. And so you can imagine the attraction that held for little Jewish boys and girls. You know, the wonder of Rome, the power of Rome, the glory of that empire. And so you can imagine Jewish moms and dads pounding into kids like Peter, stay away. That's out of bounds for you. Mm-hmm. We're God's people. We're not idolaters like those Romans. We're not pagans like them. We're not sinners like them. Stay away from them. And so when Peter's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, says to Peter and to the other apostles, that they are to take this word of repentance and forgiveness in his own name to the nations, you could imagine how hard it is to really think about that. Because all their life they've been told, keep your distance. It's not safe out there. They'll drag you off to their pagan temples. And you'll be called on to worship other gods. You'll be tempted to live like they're living, as if God wasn't the true and living God, the only God 
the one who created all that it is and the one who sustains all that is. And so they're sidetracked. Not outright rejecting what Jesus has said, but maybe gladly preoccupied with other things. The word goes to the Samaritans, not even willingly, does it? And we read in Acts chapter 8 how persecution begins after the stoning of Stephen and how everyone except the apostles is driven away and they go to the Samaritans. And as they go, they talk to them about Jesus and some of the Samaritans become believers and so they begin to go that far. But they haven't yet been ready to face the bigger call that Christ has given them to go to the nations. And Peter owns up to that when he comes to the house of Cornelius. You can hear how Peter is very, very uncomfortable. It didn't get off to a good start at all when he shows up at Cornelius's door. And the first thing Cornelius does is falls on his face in front of him as if Peter were an angel from God and should be worshipped. And so Peter has to say, get up. I'm just a man. You don't worship me. And so things don't get off to a very good start. All of Peter's inner fears are beginning to be realized. Mm -hmm. And so he says there in verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. I shouldn't be here, Cornelius. God tells me not to be here. And yet, Jesus has told them something different. And the vision that he's just had calls him to something different. And so Peter is beginning to realize that something is changing and has already changed. Cornelius has been praying. He's a God-fearing man, we're told. Yes, he's a Roman soldier. He's an officer in the Roman army. He has, he's important enough that not only does he have soldiers at his beck and call, but he has servants. Mm. You know, evidently, he's paid well enough that he can have servants in his home to help his wife and his kids. And Cornelius, because he is, has come to know something of this true and living God that these Jews worship, is seeking to know more about him. But there's boundaries. Who wants to sit down with him from among the Jewish people and teach him? It's unlawful for them to be in his house. It's unlawful for them to associate with him under the old law. And so Cornelius has been praying. We're not given his prayer, are we? But we hear the answer, don't we? What's the answer? Well, the answer is, Peter. Send for Simon Peter. He's in the home of Simon Gerber. Gerber in German is Tanner. So my ancestors evidently were Tanners. So he's in the home of Simon Tanner. And send for him 
And when he comes, listen to what he has to say to you. See, that's God's answer to Cornelius. And so if that's the answer, then his prayer must have been, Lord, I want to know you better. I know that I don't know you as well as I ought to. I've only learned a little tiny bit, and I want to know you with all of my heart. And so God begins to work on the side of the Gentiles, on the side of the pagans, to begin to open a door for the gospel to be brought to them. But he's also working at the same time on Peter. And through Peter, the whole church. You know, Peter does something very natural. You know, he falls asleep. He's waiting for lunch. Maybe he's tired. He's certainly hungry. And he's waiting for lunch up there on the sort of the deck on the roof of the house. And God sends him a vision. He sends him this great canvas filled with all kinds of animals, all the kinds of animals that God had commanded his people of old not to eat. It's not fish with scales, but it's shrimp and clams and mussels and pigs. But the voice from heaven commands him, Peter, kill and eat. And the good Jew that he is, Peter says, never, Lord. He acknowledges that it's God speaking to him, but he says no to God. Can you imagine that? It just shows us how ingrained some of these things are in Peter's heart. And it was good that they were ingrained there. They were for God's people of old, and Peter was among those people of old. But now he's a new man in Christ, part of this new kingdom that's come in the Lord Jesus. There are new commands. Because the ones given before were not just types and shadows, but they were given to keep Israel separate from the world. That through it, the Christ might come. Well, now the Christ has come. Jesus has been born. He's lived righteously for his people. He's died an atoning death for his people. He's risen again and ruling over the church. And he has commanded his church to take the good news of repentance and forgiveness in his name to the nations. And Peter's been slow. He's been slow to really grasp that. But God comes to him then a second time in that vision, doing the same thing, saying the same thing. And Peter still says the same thing. And even a third time, and then God gets very direct with Peter. He says, there are people downstairs. Mm. They're looking for you. Don't ask questions. Mm. Now, the good thing was Peter was pondering what this vision meant. He wasn't, even though he was saying, Lord, I'll never kill and eat that kind of stuff. He was trying to figure it out. He was pondering it. He was wrestling with it. And he hadn't come to the conclusions he needed to reach yet. And so God says to him, Peter, enough for now. They're there. Simply go. Don't ask questions. Don't wrestle with it anymore. Here's something clear and simple for you to do. Just go with them. 
And it might have been two Jews, maybe the servants were Jewish, but there's this faithful, devout soldier. Is he devout because he's devoted to Cornelius or is he devout because maybe he's a God-fearer like Cornelius? You know, the text doesn't make it very clear in what way this soldier is devout. But there they are with an invitation to come to this pagan's house. And so Peter's acknowledging, you know, Cornelius, this is not what I'm supposed to do. He's still living in the old, isn't he? Even though God has said to him, go, he's still remembering all that stuff that was pounded into his heart and his mind by his parents. You stay away, you keep your distance, you don't associate with those pagans. But to Peter's credit, he went. Not knowing what he was going to have to face, not knowing what he was going to be called upon to do, Peter went. And so we see how God is working on both sides. He's working in Cornelius, helping him bridge that gap to hear more about Jesus. And he's working in Peter's heart and in Peter's mind, helping him to process all the new changes that have come now for the people of God because Jesus has come. And the age of shadows and types is gone. The fullness has come. And this is now the time for the light of God to shine among the Gentiles too. Maybe you grew up with 1 Corinthians 15.33. My grandmother lived either next door to me or with my family all of my growing up years. You know, a wonderful, godly woman. I have four brothers. I was the oldest one. And we were in a tiny Bible-believing church in a town where we were the only tiny little Bible-believing church. And so my grandmother often reminded us as we were heading out with our friends, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. She said that to us so many times. She not only said that, she did a lot of praying for us too. But I grew up hearing that. And when you grow up, knowing that out there in the world, there's a lot of evil. And especially in this day and age, I think of how my grandmother would be reacting to this culture you know, and not the culture of the 50s and 60s. But the world is pagan. Maybe as much as the Roman Empire ever was. Maybe more so. And so when you grow up in the church and you're warned about what's out there in the world, it's pretty hard to think about going out there in the world and deliberately engaging people, befriending them, getting to know them, that you might speak of Jesus to them. That command from Jesus hasn't been ended yet, has it? We're to take the message of repentance and forgiveness in Jesus' name to all those pagans around us in the world. And we not only feel uncomfortable out there, you can feel pretty uncomfortable in here. When the door opens and somebody comes in 
who's a part of that world. Mm. Yeah. It's as if the wolf is coming into the sheepfold. Mm. I, mean, I remember the reactions in a congregation that I served when you know, there was a very attractive young woman who came and would sit for several weeks with her young children in the third row on my left, over here. And after about the second week, you know, she began to talk to some of the other women, and she was pretty open. She was married and had a husband, and she had a lover, and she wasn't about to let either one go at that point. And yet God was somehow pushing her to the church. Well, ultimately, he pushed her to Jesus. <laughs> and she found repentance and forgiveness of her sins, and she found righteousness in Christ. You know, and then she began to find holiness in her life. As God helped her to make those really hard decisions. But I could see when she was first telling the women in the church the struggle that she was dealing with, because she was doing it pretty openly after worship on Sunday mornings, that they're kind of holding their husbands a little tighter. You know? <laughs> this is not a safe person. You know, she's got somebody beside her husband. Maybe she'll want my husband too. And so we can feel very uncomfortable even when the world comes to us let alone when we feel that we're a lone voice out there in the world and the whole world is against us. But our Savior, our Lord, has given us a word. It's clear, not hard to figure out. We're to take this good news, this good news of life in Him to the pagans of the world. And yet that priority seems to always get overshadowed by the other things that demand our attention. In our life in general, and even in the church. But that word is still his command to the church, to you. you know, the church of God here in Comac, the haven. You, the church, have been sent to the world. Not someone else. Yes, other believers have too. But it's you. You need to hear that very personally as what Jesus has commanded you. That you are his witnesses. Witnesses to what he did. Witnesses to him. It's not just a preacher or preachers. It's all of us together Amen. have that word Amen. from Jesus. And we need to hear it loudly and clearly. In Acts chapter 8, if we go back just those couple chapters about the stoning of Stephen, you know, we read in verse 1 that there arose on the day that Stephen was, exe was executed, uh, a day of great persecution among the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then down a few verses, down in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
Don't let that word preaching scare you. It's everybody but the apostles. They're still in Jerusalem. It's the people who were scattered who are preaching Jesus, who are speaking of him. You know, it's that preaching in that broader sense, not what I'm doing now behind this holy lectern, not opening the word and as a minister of the gospel, but it's God's people telling about Jesus and what he did and what he offers. And so over in verse 35 of chapter 8, we hear the same word. The English, ver English Standard Version doesn't translate it that way, but it's the same word. Then Philip opened his mouth. Remember, Philip then gets called by God to join that eunuch in his chariot. And he's been reading Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and he doesn't understand it. And so Philip is called to join him in the chariot, invited up. And presumably as they resume their journey, you know, Philip does what? Well, the ESV says he told him the good news about Jesus. But he told him is really the same word back there in verse 4. He preached to him the word about Jesus. But it's a conversation, isn't it? They're sitting together with God's word opened in front of them and they're talking about it. They're reading it and they're talking about what it means. You can do that. Yeah. Amen. You know something of God's word. Do you know everything? Do you know as much as Pastor Bill does? Probably not. Very few of us do. <laughs> Bill has a command of so much truth. But we hear God's word and we understand it and we can open the Bible and read it with people. You know, I've been reminded just recently there at Westminster Church in Hamden, we have a young woman, Zay Kun's son, you know, from China. Um, she was converted in the university in China because another student invited her to read the Bible with her. And they sat down and began to read the Bible. And this friend who was a Christian began to explain it to her as best she could. She was a pretty new believer herself. And... Zaykun is doing that now here in the U.S. as she's a grad student at Yale University. You know, this last, a week ago today, she had five other Chinese students with her Amen. at worship. You know, people she had invited to read the Bible with her. Yeah. And then she invited them to come to church with her. You know, that's a doable thing, isn't it? Yes. Amen. Indeed, it is. And the power of the Holy Spirit takes the word and he uses it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be afraid of not having all the answers. Yeah. None of us have all the answers. Mm -hmm. But we have God's word, mm -hmm. which is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, which divides the marrow in our hearts. Mm -hmm. it, makes the, it cuts through all the crap that's there mm -hmm. to help us see the truth Amen. about our sin yeah. and our need of a Savior. And that all we need is Jesus. And all we have then is Jesus. Amen. And so we hear this command. And we know what we have to say to the world. You know, Jesus told us. What is it he sent us to tell the world? That there's repentance. You know, how many people live as if there's no way out? Mm -hmm. No way out of the mess they've made in their lives. Yeah. No way out of the guilt that they live with day after day. 
They're despondent mm -hmm. and suicidal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. There's no way out. Mm -hmm. But Jesus sends us to tell them there is a way out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. The Holy God who holds you accountable will hear. He will hear your repentance. And when you turn in faith to the Son He sent, Jesus Christ, the one who lived for you, who suffered and died for you, and who rose again for you on the third day and lives now in heaven, He will wash away all the sin, all the guilt. You'll be white as snow. That's what we have to tell the world. Repentance, forgiveness. Mm. In Jesus' name, the one who came from heaven, God himself, yeah. to redeem his people. Amen. And that's what Cornelius hears from Peter. Cornelius says, we're here. The angel told me to call you, and I've gathered my friends and family, and we're here. Mm. We're here ready to hear all that you have been commanded to say to us. Now, we don't hear that from too many people out there in the world. Sometimes you do, especially as pastors. We sometimes get to hear that. But there are people whom God is preparing. Just as he was preparing Cornelius, both through the, the general way in which he was getting to know God and had become a God-fearer, but then very specifically that he would hear of Jesus and forgiveness and repentance in Jesus. And so the world is around you. And you don't know what God is doing in their lives. There was a fellow I know, his name is Mark. You know, he had moved into a new neighborhood. And he began to talk to the neighbors across the street and began to tell them about you know, himself and his faith in Christ and not in a you know, high pressure kind of way, just in a, you know, this is who I am kind of way. And he invited them to come to church while well, the mom and the older son, you know, a young adult, began to come to church and then became regular worshipers at Mark's church. But dad never came. Mm -hmm. And one day the son said, you know, when you invite my dad directly, he's never going to come. And so Mark's like, not sure what to do about that. Well, then one day, you know, Mark is talking to this man and just sort of a casual conversation. They had both been out there cutting the grass and they took a break and they're talking to each other. And in the course of that conversation, you know, Mark made a reference to Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and to one of the scenes in Pilgrim's Progress. And he didn't push it, he just dropped it there and he didn't think any more of it. It was just sort of a natural thing for him to say. It fit into the conversation. But about four or five days later, you know, the neighbor sees him out in the yard and comes across the street with a copy of Pilgrim's Progress in his hand. Wow. And he says, I've started reading this book. Mm -hmm. How did you know that I've been really, really feeling like I needed to think about God wow. and his place yeah. in my life? Well, see, Mark didn't know that. All Mark knew was there was no way he was going to respond to an invitation to come to church. You know, Mom and the son were open, but Dad was 
pretty closed. But he wasn't closed to God. God can reach into the heart and into the mind and do a work that we can never do. But he calls us then to speak into those situations. We're called to take the good news to those who are dead, who are lost. And so we need to simply be ready to open our mouths, to not be afraid, you know, to talk to that person you see in the gym all the time, or the guy behind the coffee counter that you see pretty regularly, because you don't know what God is doing in their hearts and, ready, and whether they're ready to hear this wonderful word of forgiveness in Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to be praying. That's a good place to start. Amen. Amen. You pray that God will help you to get to know the people around you. Mm. I remember when my wife Rita and I moved into a home in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania when I became Associate General Secretary. It was hard. It was a, it, we were in the middle of a city. Bethlehem's not a big city like New York City, but it's a city. And you know, the next house to us is like 20 feet away. You know, it's not a half mile away. It's 20 feet away. There it is. And we'd see this man and woman who lived there and they'd kind of sort of wave half-heartedly once in a while if we'd say hello to them. But you know, it was like, it was just a wall that was there. And that's how it seemed with almost everybody on this street. And so we began to pray, Lord, help us to find out their names. Mm. We thought that was a good starting place. What's your name? Mm. That's right. But within days, we learned their names. Mm. We had been working at it for a while without any success. But when we asked God, God did it. And then we began to pray that he'd let us say just one little thing about him. And we were able to do that to people who never even would open their mouth to us before. Now we knew their names and they're willing to talk to us. And we're able to say just little tiny things about Jesus. God is the one who answers prayer. He heard Cornelius' prayer, didn't he? And he sent him Peter. Well, God hears the prayers of his people even more readily. Mm. He will hear your prayers that are aimed at you being able to obey your Lord Jesus. To take this good news of eternal life to those around you. And so I would call you people of God. Remember that your Lord Jesus has given you a mission. It's clear. It's not the only thing he's called you to do, but you can't ignore it. Because you get to tell pagans the words of life. And only God knows whom he will call. You don't have to worry about that. And you know he breaks down big walls. You know, he broke down the walls in Paul's own heart. The one who was there at the stoning of Stephen and consenting to it. He becomes a follower of Jesus. 
and the apostle, you know, whose words you know, we love, how God used him by his spirit in the life of the church. And so we know that our God is a big God who can do big things. Amen. And we don't have to do big things. We just need to do little things. Like ask him. And then open our mouths and hold up our Lord Jesus who said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, how thankful we are for those who spoke to us, who told us about you. For some of us, that was our parents and our grandparents, and we thank you for them. But for others, it was someone we met in college, or someone who spoke to us across the counter at the convenience store. Father, we thank you for those people who opened their mouths and spoke of Jesus to us. And we ask you now that you would help us to get over our fears. And Father, they're huge in this pagan culture. But help us to hear the voice of our Savior. And by your Spirit, do what he has called us to do, to tell of him. Help us not to be afraid of the pagan world, but protect us from it, we pray. We would not be foolish. Mm. We know we have an enemy who prowls around seeking whom he may devour, and so we pray for your protection, for your preservation, even as we open our lives to the pagans around us. But may we be your tools instruments in your hands that they might hear the name of Jesus and the wonderful word of hope in him. And bring them, we pray, to repentance and to faith and add them to the church that they might be cared for and shepherded and nurtured in the faith and grow up in Christ in every way. We pray this, our Savior, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.